Are you ready? This is Moffat on the Mic on the A1 Sports Network. Bow to the masters. Break it down. How you doing, everybody? Welcome to the Moffat on the Mic radio show for this Thursday night, courtesy of the A1 Sports Network. Uh, Club and I are coming to you, of course, via Zoom, and this will be uploaded as a podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc., 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 uh, I am Craig Moffitt, and as always, this show is not complete without the head honcho of the A1 Sports Network. I ran out of jobs. <laughs> Let's cut the bullshit and just, you know. Uh, of course, I'm talking about the founder of the A1 Sports Radio Network, the people's producer, and that is Mr. Chris Clem. Quiet day today, you know, very gloomy. Clouds were got a lot of overcast. Not a lot going on in the sports world today. You know, it's funny, man. I'm going to blow these last two days, I have felt so friggin' lazy. Same. Yesterday, I literally sat on my ass and did nothing. <laughs> and part of me thought it was everything I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, it was like you, as a father to two kids, you feel like you're not doing anything. <laughs> not doing anything like remotely constructive with them. So at around like 5.30 last night before dinner, I took them outside in the backyard. You know, Riley likes to play baseball now, so we start playing a little baseball in the backyard. And within 30 minutes, she was done. She was just like, yeah, I think it was just one of those days, man. It was just a very lazy-ass day. Yeah. We were tired. We were just, you know, I just, I literally did nothing. I watched TV all day. I've had I've done in a long time. I've had a couple of those days during, during the quarantine. And I'm just like, there were days where like, wow, I'm just really bored of being bored. Like, I, I just, so like today, for example, I was kind of trending in that way. Yeah. So I took my kids out. We just took a drive, like, around, like, New Hyde Park and, you know, just just drove, you know. Like, just yeah. sometimes it just feels good to kind of get in the car. And sometimes I like it because I get to listen to music I want to listen to because I don't really listen to music in the, in the house. And just gets the kids out of the house for a little while. My wife had a meeting, so she was probably better that they weren't here. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, I got a little bit of shitty news yesterday, so my furlough got extended to now the end of June. Jesus. So it's going to be a very long month to say the least and the worst part about it is is the my hr director who's a good guy for the most part he ended the conversation by saying by the end at the end of the month we're going to reevaluate the business oh that's not a good sign not a good oh that's something you don't want to hear so my wife and i are kind of like a little nervous this is one of the few times i've been a little nervous because i've always had a job you know this is the longest i've this is the only time i've ever collected unemployment in my life Mm -hmm. So it's kind of frustrating and it's a little bit, you know, you're angry and you can point the finger at a million things, but right now it's just, this is life and, you know, I just got to deal with it. So I am going to devote more of my time to doing Moffat on the mic because this is what I want to do. And this is what I want to uh, keep pushing right now. I think it just kind of allows me to maintain my sanity a bit. So, but uh, as you said, Clem, I couldn't agree with you more. It was a bit of a quiet day today. Um, Apparently, the uh, drama with the Major League Baseball is uh, now players are starting to comment on it. The latest one was Max Scherzer, who basically said in not too many words that he sees no reason why the players should have to take another pay cut hmm. based on the proposal from the owners. Uh, Scott Boris is basically saying that he doesn't want – he's already – he's 
authorize his players or let his players know that they are not to take any additional pay cuts and all that stuff. So here we go. And we're right back to where we started like we were in 94. Yep. Only this time, the reason why these guys are not working has nothing to do with the CBA. It has to do with a pandemic that's killed over 100,000 people. Yeah, it's, it's, not a good, it's not a good look. It's just not good at all. And like I like we mentioned the other day, like it's gonna it's just gonna be terrible when we don't have baseball going on. Luckily, you know, the NHL they have their thing. NBA is getting the wheels in motion. The NFL we we think is gonna happen, you know. And the, and now MLB people love people. It's America's pastime, and the fact that it's not gonna happen in two in two, for the two twenty twenty season, it's gonna be terrible. So this is a pill to me that would be it's gonna be easier to swallow because of the fact that basketball is gonna run through the summer. Mm-hmm. Hockey now may not start till August at the earliest. So the downside to that is everything's going to get pushed back most likely, except for the NFL. And we don't really know where the NFL stands. Now, uh, D. Maurice Smith, the NFL Players Association president, said the other day that he doesn't, he doesn't see the possibility of a 2020 season taking place. I'm just going to say this. I understand what we're dealing with. I know that the government has lied to us in many ways. I know that the government has really deceived us into how serious this was. And listen, let's call a spade a spade. All politicians lie. Mm-hmm. If you're on the blue side or the red side, they all freaking lie. I mean, come on. I mean, do we know this by now? I mean, what are, what are you telling me that, okay, we ripped Trump to shreds for being a liar. And he is a liar. But how many times have other politicians lied on yeah. the Democrats? I mean, it's all the same to me Yeah, kind of thing. Here's what I'm going to say. We might as well just never have sports again. Then We might as well just never have sports again. If you're that afraid of it and we don't know when the vaccine's going to be done, then let's just do away with sports altogether. These guys will never make money and that's it. Yeah. I mean, what else can you really say at this point? Because to be honest, what it sounds like is they're afraid. And I understand that part. And they, you know, there's nothing wrong with being afraid of the, of the situation. Okay. But at the same time, I am very tired of hearing about how they're taking all the risk. Because, yes, while they are taking the risk by playing, the fact is the owners are taking a major risk by if they don't have a season, they lose a lot of money. Yeah. And the players don't get paid regardless. So, and then that's going to trickle into next year because guess what you could possibly have next year? You could have a bunch of angry, frustrated owners who didn't allow the players to have a seat who didn't want, you know, whose players didn't want to have a season because they were, you know, we took the necessary precautions. You're probably going to get tested every game. I highly doubt they're not going to test you every game. And in that sense of the word, you're going to have a bunch of angry and frustrated owners who lost millions on top of millions of dollars each. And they're going to start to say to themselves, you know what, Marcus Stroman, I don't want to sign you to a hundred million dollar contract. Yeah. I'll sign you to a $10 million contract, okay? This all has a domino effect at the end of the day. And the problem is, is that now it's getting worse because the players are really kind of putting their foot in the ground and they're basically saying, yeah, well, we're not taking a pay cut. I'm Max Scherzer. I deserve to make $35 million this year, even though I made $35 million last year, and I can live off $17 million, or I can live off $9 million. Yeah. Okay, and the players do come off as very selfish because they want to make their money and they shouldn't be denied to get paid. I'm not saying that. But when you put your foot down in a piece like that, basically saying, 
I don't see any reason why we shouldn't be, we should be taking another pay cut. Throw in the fact that Scott Boris is also now, because he's the, the ultimate pot star in this whole thing, you know, because of course, when it pertains to his agents and it's affecting his money, of course, he's going to tell his players not to play. Yeah. And then you have the possibility of guys like Garrett Cole and Mike Trout sitting out the season. Okay. How are Yankee fans going to feel with Garrett Cole, who was supposed to be this big time Yankee fan, right? Mm-hmm. Has the stupid poster from when he was, uh, whatever, whatever, whatever World Series he was out of the Yankees. Remember when he put that thing up? He's like, oh yeah, this is the poster, whatever. How is it going to look to Yankee fans when Garrett Cole just says, yeah, I'm not going to play this year because I'm not getting my money. I get it to a point. You want to get paid. I understand that. I understand you want to get the money you signed on for and the money you deserve. I get that. Now, I also get where the owners are coming from because they're, they're not making any money to pay these guys. You know, they are losing, like you said, tons of money on ad deals, TV deals, uh, jersey buyings, all this ticket sales, all this stuff. Concessions. Yeah, concessions. They're losing so much money on it, and they, and they have no idea. And I understand, I understand both sides of the coin. I really do. But, like, you know, it's, I think it is a little bit on the owners, like, more on the owner side where it's like, okay, you don't, they don't need to make, do a second pay cut. I mean, they already agreed to really do the first, this first one. You don't need to do a second pay cut. And that's why I understand where the play, why the players are getting frustrated now. It's like, okay, we agreed to do this first one. We, we don't want to do the second one now. I get, and I get that. I get it from their perspective too. So you have to meet in the middle. Yeah. Pay cuts a little harsh, but I think in order for, in order for this to work for the possibility of no fans, you really have to – and even if you get a percentage of fans, it's not enough. Yeah. You're still going to be operating at a loss. And, I mean, there's a lot of teams that are going to operate at a loss because nobody's going nobody's to go watch the Baltimore Orioles this year. No one's going to watch Pittsburgh Pirates this year or even the Kansas City Royals. Nobody cares about these teams. But, again, at the end of the day, you cannot let it become about money because it's not even about health anymore. I don't think it's about health. I think it's just about money. It absolutely is. I think money has officially trumped health as the reason why these guys don't want to are going to start are going to let this drag out. Yeah. And listen, Tony Clark has to do what he has to do as the as the union president. And you know, I get it. He doesn't want to cave. He doesn't want to look weak, and everything. But the fact is, right now, I hate to play this really you know emotional type of card, but you have a lot of people that are out of work right now. You have over 30 million people out of work. Another 2.1 million people filed for unemployment this week alone. Okay? That is horrible if you just want to see the state of where we are right now. And here's the crazy thing. You want to know how I know when life just sucks? And I'm not trying to belittle this whole thing. On my way home from driving, I was passing a Wendy's. Mm -hmm. Okay? Bro, the line at the drive-thru was literally 10 cars deep. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Because not- people are cutting back any which way they can. And if that means you got to eat fast food for however long it takes, then that's what it's going to be. Yeah, you should see the line. We have a McDonald's in Glen Cove. And you should see it's not even – it wraps around the whole, the whole McDonald's. And it goes, like, two blocks into the street. I'm like – I'm like, look. Any given, I, any given day, you know people aren't going to be at McDonald's every day the way they do. Exactly. Okay, people who can afford to work, eat at restaurants and everything like that, they're not going to be eating McDonald's every day. Exactly. This is one of those times where the union and the, and the owners can just 
put it to bed and just get baseball back. If hockey figured out a way to get a schedule back, if basketball figured out a way to get a schedule back, then baseball can do the same thing. Exactly. If baseball shuts down the season. Look, the Premier League is coming back for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. If baseball screws this up, fans will never trust the sport ever again. The one difference I will say between NBA and NHL coming back compared to MLB is they played their se- they basically played 90% of their season already. Yes. That's, the, that's the only real difference. So, you know, if you want to compare like, oh, well, NHL and NBA players are getting their full money because they played basically a full season. So, yeah, they deserve their money, obviously. MLB players, they didn't play a single game yet. All they did was spring training. Listen, I have no faith. I have no You'll have to excuse me if I just don't have any sympathy for guys like Mike Trout, for guys like Max Scherzer, who make thirty-five to forty million dollars a year. Yeah. And are gonna let this get in the way. Yeah. Maybe the okay, the unit listen, it's the same thing, Clem. One goes high, the other goes low, and you meet in the middle. Mm-hmm. Okay? It's it's the it's negotiating one oh one. So it's it's gotta get to the point though where you have to just swallow your pride and say, let's get to the table. Let's get a season going. Mm-hmm. Gonna, these guys are going to get tested every day. Yeah. They are aware of that, right? Yeah. So the testing is not really the issue. And if one guy tests positive for coronavirus, it's done. It's not enough to shut down the season. Yeah. You test the team and you figure it out. That's the whole point of having the expanded rosters also. But look what happens, right? So now we have a situation where owners aren't making money. They can't pay for this, and they can't pay for that. They can't do this. And to pay the players' salaries, they still have to pay the players. Mm-hmm. Now they had to cut. The Mets had to cut like 30 minor leaguers today. Yeah. Other teams are cutting minor leaguers. And it's disgraceful because, yeah, those guys didn't make a lot of money to begin with. But without a season, and it's all a trickle-down effect. Somebody, something's got to get cut, so we got to cut the minor leaguers now. It's because terrible. they're not having a season. It's terrible. It's terrible. It absolutely is. But like, I know the guys don't play for free if you brought them up to City Field. Yeah, like I, and I, I like it's terrible, and I really feel for these guys. But like, I from a business standpoint, I get it. Like, of course whole- you get it because that's what you have to do. Listen, it's, really, it's yeah. the same. This is what you want to know why people get so frustrated with the whole bailout packages that you know the Congress puts forward because they put the big corporations in front of the small businesses. So they put, you know, whatever, Target and whatever big corporation in front. And then people like my friends, Jim and Mineola, that can't open because it's not considered deemed non-essential, is struggling. Yep. And what do these corporate people do? They take the money, they buy back stocks, and then they cut people. So that's how they make their money. So either way, yeah, okay, the company got a bailout, but it doesn't mean anything. Because now what they do is they just cut staff, and that's going to be the next play. That's how they put themselves back on the map. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, for guys at the bottom of the rung that are, make, that are not even making a million. So problem is, is that just moving forward, a lot of people seem to be siding with the players, and there are people siding with the owners. Mm-hmm. Okay? You see both sides of the equation. But the fact is, if you cancel this season because of money, fans will never respect. There'll be plenty of fans. I won't say all fans because 
fans are very hypocritical. They'll always tell you, I'm never going to a baseball game again. And it'll be the first assholes at opening day in 2021. You know, okay? and I was listening to Michael Kay's show today and they brought up a good point too. This is going to be very, very bad. Not just from, you know, uh, a, like a fan, like people are going to, this is going to make people watch baseball even less. Baseball was already on a decline of people of having fans come to games and watching games on TV. This is not helping the situation at all, especially if you have, if you cancel a season. Yeah. There was a time back in 92, 93, where Met games, Yankee games were packed, packed. Mm -hmm. And then the strike hit in 94. And when the strike hit in 94, baseball was never the same. Yep. People stopped going to games. People were really pissed off at the players and the owners for never coming to a deal. You know, if you were a fan of the Montreal Expos, they were a team that was like well on their way that could have possibly been a World Series team. That went down the toilet. I mean, at the end of the day, what happened? It ruined baseball. This is not even about health anymore. Yes, the players are taking the risk going on the field every day. Okay? But if the players didn't want to assume that risk, they would never be sitting here saying, we want to play, we want to play, we want to play. Because if you wanted to play, then you get your ass back to the negotiating table and say to the owners, this isn't going to fly, but let's see if we can meet in the middle somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 100%. 100%. You know, it's going to come down to, you know, like, oh, I want $3 million. No, but I deserve to get $10 million. Like, come on, really? Like, let's get this like, going. Like, then, of course, like the Astro, the, the, I think the governor of Texas, whoever, you know, came out today and said that, Sports can resume in June and even double down by saying stadiums can have 25% capacity, like fans in, this, in the stands. Mm-hmm. It's not going to mean anything if there's no sports. There's no games. Yeah. It's not going to mean anything. If the Astros don't play any games in June, what, what, this is like just a bullshit edict in my opinion. But, I mean, again, this is what we were afraid of. And this is like when we had Tim on the other day. And I asked him, I said, if this happens, is this going to be huge, bad for baseball? And he pretty much laid it on the table. It's going to be bad for baseball. Fans are not going to want to deal with this again. And then what's going to have to happen is next year, your prices for baseball tickets are going to be jacked up because the owners have to make money. Yeah, exactly. They got to make their money back, you know, whether it's on tickets, whether it's upping jersey sales or concession prices, whatever it is. That, that's what the owners are going to have to do. And I'm gonna and I'm gonna be an idiot and buy you know the the seventeen dollar hot dog and stuff like that when I go to games. Like I'm still gonna go to baseball games because I love the sport of baseball. Same. But I will be mad as hell if these guys can't get their acts to, acts together, get back to the table and start talking. Yeah. Because right now what it's looking like is the players are ready to walk. And trust me, that is a very that is not good optics on the player's side. The players should be willing to go back to the table and say, well, we need to talk about this, you know, whatever. Instead, they're pretty much admitting, they're conceding and basically saying, I'm not going to play if we're gonna, we have to keep losing money. Agreed. 100% agreed. Now, I got a question for you. Do you think that, say, you know, some of these players, they were like, oh, you know what, we're not going to play. You think it's possible that these teams could get, like, replacement players who will be like, hey, we'll give you a million dollars. Go play 82 games. They'll be like, and the, these players could, players could be like, oh, hell yeah, I'll go play. Like triple A, double A guys. It's always possible. Mm-hmm. The replacement player thing was in '94, just like with, with the strike, and it didn't really, you know, it was a. You saw how bad some of the players really were. Yeah. 
<laughs> but that being said, though, it's not a po- it's not out of the realm of possibility. I would put that money towards the minor leagues, though. Yeah, I'd let them have a season. They could play at City Field. I have no problem with that. Put the Cyclones at City Field. Put you know, put whoever you want at City Field and let them play. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. Okay. I mean, the fact is, is you know, but again, they're all part of the same union, so I don't think minor leaguers can play. That's why we had the that's why we had the replacement players. Yeah. Because they weren't, you know, it's all the same union. So the thing is, though, is that they're within their right to let these kids go. But the beauty of it is, since you let them go and they're all free agents, they're not part of the Players Association anymore. So you can bring them back and say, okay, well, we, you know, I mean, if you have a season with the new, the only way you can make that happen is if you deem the 2020 season a complete wash, uh-huh. meaning no World Series champion. No playoffs, no wild card. You just play a season and that's it. Yeah. Okay, let the kids get a taste of of Major League Baseball and move on. Right. Okay. But again, it would be a slap in the face to the players if you do something like that. Now, the replacement players, I mean, who knows who's going to play in these, you know, in these, you know, who knows. Right. Guys that, but again, there are going to be plenty of guys out there that need a job. This is the time where, I hate to say it, this is the time where you start, if you're the Mets and you know you're not going to have a season, guess what you do? Call you're, Tim Tebow. You market Tim Tebow. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, thank you. I was, you took the words right out of my mouth, and that's why you are my producer. Oh, my gosh. I wouldn't hate it, honestly. I wouldn't hate it. Look, if I can watch I, – I, That's how you turn this into a positive. You tell the players, go F yourself. I'm going to bring up Tebow and generate some revenue for my team. Exactly. And for the Mets, it would because I would certainly buy a ticket to go see Tebow play. Like, you, don't think, you don't think people wouldn't go watch Tebow play to see absolutely. how big he is? Absolutely. And look, I'm not, I'm not comparing it to when Jordan was in the minor leagues, but I was watching the last dance, and they were, you should have seen these minor league stadiums flocked with people just to see Michael Jordan play. Like, of course. And I, like, I'm like, again, no, I'm not comparing you know, Jordan's stat, Tebow's status to what Michael Jordan was. But you tell me a whole bunch of people wouldn't flock to a stadium to go see Tim Tebow play? Absolutely. So I'm there first day. Sign me up. When I saw – when he first signed with the Binghamton Mets or when they first put him on Binghamton, I think they sold out like every game. Yeah. They pretty much sold out every game because who, he's, he's a polarizing figure in sports. Still is. And he's not even that good of an athlete. Yeah. He's a terrible quarterback and he's a terrible baseball player. He sucks at two sports. <laughs> but, I mean, at the same time, it's just – he is a polarizing figure. People love him. I personally love his attitude. Yeah, so have I. When Tim Tebow first signed with the Mets, I said to myself, I said, okay, how serious is he going to take this? Mm-hmm. Meaning if he gets cut or if he doesn't perform well, is he just going to pack up and leave? Or is he going to really see this through and then turn around and say, okay, I wasn't good last year. I got to get better this year. Right. And you know what Tim Tebow did? Instead of just sitting there going, what, they didn't call me up? This is bullshit. I'm going, I'm leaving, right? He came back every year. Yeah. And he worked. Yeah. And he worked. And he knows he's – listen, even Tim Tebow knows he's probably not a good baseball player. But you got to love that passion from a guy like that. Absolutely. Because that's a guy that could have easily just said, you know what, you didn't put me on the main roster? Eh, screw this, I'm leaving. Yeah. And then that would have been the textbook definition of a publicity stunt. Yeah. However, Tebow comes in, has a crappy season, gets hurt, 
comes back again. And he comes back again. Yeah, he could have easily said, you know what? I got hurt. I'm done. You know, that's it. I'm not risking my health, my safety, et cetera, on, on, a, on a sport where I'm not even that good. He came back. He worked. He worked. He worked. What's he been on the Mets for like three years now? About? I think so. And the thing is, when you talk to the other one, they interviewed a lot of the minor, other minor league players. He said the same thing. He comes in. He does his job. Yeah. He doesn't, he's, not a, he's not a prima donna. He's not a guy that feels a sense of entitlement that he should be in the majors because he's Tim Tebow. He's there to work. Exactly. And that's exactly what he's been doing. You had, they interviewed his coaches, I think, early last season, and they said the same thing. He comes to work and he plays. He's the, you know, they, listen, they know that he's flawed. Even he knows he's flawed. Yeah. But at the end of the day, he comes in and he works. Yeah. And that's really what you expect out of a guy like that. So you mean to tell me that if I'm the Mets and I have a replacement player, I have a possibility of bringing in replacement players, which probably will never happen, but that's a story for another day. You're going to sit there and tell me that if I have a chance to bring in replacement players, I'm not going to try to bring in Tim Tebow to come to my team. Absolutely. Why they haven't even caught him. He didn't even, he's still, he's still around. Yeah. Like I, I know I have friends who bought his Jersey when it became first available. I'm like, I mean, first of all, I would never buy a Tim Tebow jersey, uh, Mets jersey. But I was just like, they, but he, it was like fans who like didn't even weren't even Mets fans who bought his jersey. And I was like, I was like, why'd you buy it? They're like, it's, well, it's Tim Tebow. I, I wanted to buy. It. I love Tim Tebow. I'm like, well, that's why he's oh, that's why he's on the Mets, bringing in the money. And that's exactly and that's exactly my point. If you're a guy like Brody Van Wagenen, if you're a guy like the Wolpons, I mean, and you need to make some quick change, you know, mar- you can market him to death. You can. Just to get people into the seat, just to get people into the stadium. Because, listen, eventually this will get lifted. Mm-hmm. We just don't know when it is right now. Yeah. Okay? Right now the safe play is no fans in the stands. I'm okay with that. Okay? I can live with watching baseball on my television. I can live with watching baseball on a computer or whatever it is. But until that day comes, and you hopefully maybe in the summer when things start to calm down a bit more mm. – it will allow you to try to go to games. Perfect example. Somebody hit this, somebody put this on Twitter, I think. Islanders are in the playoffs. Okay? Why not have a viewing party in the Coliseum parking lot? Absolutely. Why not get cars in there with fired up Islander fans? You know, keep your social distancing. You can barbecue and you're around your fan base. You have the TV on one of the you have the game on the inflatable screens because now the new trend is an old trend, and that was drive-in theaters. Yep. You could put a screen – you could put screens in multiple areas to watch the game. Exactly. Especially at the Coliseum. There's such huge parking lots you can do that in. You know? So I'm saying, like, there's a way to do it. Why, so you figure out ways to generate revenue. Put them in the parking lot. Let people watch a Met game in the parking lot. You don't think people are going to want to go to City Field? to tailgate before a Met game. And yeah, they can't go in the stadium, but still. Yeah. Or even like, you know, like even with the Islanders, you could call a posture be like, Hey, look, we need some uh, space. So we need to use some area. We, we would love to use Hofstra as a place. It's right down. It's literally right down the block. It, I wouldn't, I would be like, Hofstra would be more than happy to probably accommodate them. This is a time where people have to get creative. Yeah. That's the whole point of it. This is, this really punched us in the gut. We weren't prepared for it. And because of that, over 100,000 people are dead. Mm-hmm. So we have to figure out alternatives to get us through before life goes back to normal. Yeah. And life may not go back to normal for a year. We may not be back to normal literally until a year from now. It's just, I'm just, you know, like, and I'm just 
been thinking about it, like how what life is going to be like after they find a vaccine and whatnot, you know, because. But that's my personal favorite, too, right? Because, okay, we need a vaccine. But then you got people railing against vaccines. Yeah. Okay, it's a very simple thing because I had a friend of mine that's on Facebook and I would never take her political opinion for anything, but that's, uh, that's another story. Because honestly, I just think people, it's, to me, it's like the Matt Stevens syndrome, okay? I love Matt, Matt's a friend of mine. You know, he was polar opposites of me for a few years and I really enjoyed doing the shows with him. But Matt gets on his little sanctimonious pedestal after a while. Mm-hmm. And when you get on your sanctimonious pedestal, you just, you think you're right about everything and everyone else is a moron. Yeah. Okay. And to me, that's just the wrong way to think. You don't feel it just because you're a liberal does not give you a sense of entitlement to whatever you want or whatever you should have. Okay. See, the problem with people like Matt is they don't pay, they pay taxes and all that stuff, but they think that everybody should have an equal piece of the pie. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. It just doesn't. It just doesn't. I have two kids, I have, to, I have insurance, I have mortgage on my house. Those are choices I made. I chose to start a family with my wife. I chose to buy a house. Yeah. Okay? It's easy for you know, guys like Matt to sit in their apartment and rail against people because they believe one thing or they like Joe Biden or they like Donald Trump and everything. It's very easy to sit behind a computer and rail. And then you think you're right all the time. Okay, now listen, I'm not saying I know anything. I don't know a lot about politics. I'm not going to sit here and lecture you on politics or lecture this person on politics because I don't know shit. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, what, you know, my friend started railing against the vaccine about, oh, yeah, Bill Gates wants, you know, is trying to do this and put a chip in us. And, and then I just sit there and I just take this deep breath. And I'm just like, see, this is the problem with people. It's a very f- simple thing. If you don't want the vaccine, then don't get the vaccine. It's just that simple. Yeah. If you feel like it's going to have numerous side effects, I respect that opinion. Okay? But if you get COVID-19, God forbid, and you are quarantined in your house for over 10 days, and you feel like crap all day, and medicine isn't working, and nothing's working, then don't sit here and, and say to me, like, oh, make me feel sorry for you because you developed COVID-19. At this point, it's really what's scaring people about COVID-19 is the incubation period. Yeah. When you have the flu, how long are you really out for the flu? Like four days? Yeah. Start to feel better by like the third or fourth day. I mean, and then by the weekend, it's like seven days, let's say. But you're not quarantined in your house for seven days. No, yeah. Even with the flu, you could still, you know, go out and do stuff. You know, you shouldn't, but you can still do it. You know. But you feel like crap when you do it. I mean, I remember one time, the last time, last time I got sick was about a year ago, like during the winter time. And. Like, I remember I had aches so, like, I had the chills so bad. It looked like I was dancing to Penn Station, right? Because, again, it just, that's, and I knew. As soon as I felt those aches and I felt those shivers, I'm like, I know what I have. I'm like, I knew it as soon as I walked in the door. Yeah. Okay? The thing is, is that if you don't want the damn vaccine, don't get the vaccine. Okay? Now, getting back to the whole sports part of it. It's a fairly simple decision. The NFL has to make this decision very soon if they're going to have a season or not. Mm-hmm. please don't drag this out till August and then say, yeah, we have to cancel the season because then you're going to look like a bigger asshole than you did before. Baseball needs to come to a resolution very soon. Don't drag this out. Don't stretch this out any more than it needs to go. It's a fairly simple thing. You either want it or you don't. If you want to get the season done, 
then do the world a favor, get back to the table and start talking. What bothers you about the proposal? What bothers you about this? You gotta have discussions. You can't just sit back and then do it through the media because then everybody generates an opinion and then everybody starts to sit there and say, well, the players are being scumbags because you know, I'm out of a job and these guys are whining over $5 million. Hey, that unemployed guy is not wrong. Yeah. Not wrong at all. When I see people like Mike Trout or Garrett Cole sitting there and saying, oh, I can't live off $18 million. I mean, you're taking my life's money. Think about that. You're telling me that Garrett Cole can't live off $9 million for like, one year? Like, I, like, like, I understand. Get your money. Get, that's what you signed for. I understand that. But we are in a desperate time. And, you know, like, it's just you got, you got to compromise this and get this shit together. You know, you're arguing over a couple million dollars to which to you guys, to like us, is maybe like a couple, like a hundred or so, maybe. Now, Chris Carlin said it best on Twitter when he said, I like Chris Carlin. A lot of people hate him. Love him. I, I think he's actually very good. Um, the one thing I'll say about Chris Carlin, he said today, he said, if an owner can't survive a few months of this mm -hmm. during a season, then he has no business being an owner in baseball. And that's a fact. So the Mets, of course, are one of those teams that are not going to survive because the Wolpons are always operating at a loss. Yeah. It's like what Tim said when he was on the show the other day. Something's got to give, but we can't keep sitting here and being afraid. We constantly live in fear. It's like the equivalent of having a, like a global panic attack. You can't keep living in fear of this. We have to figure out ways to move forward. It's not going to be easy. It's got to be thought out. It's, it's, I'm not sitting here saying, eh, it's a big hoax and eh, just, just go back to work already. This is bullshit. Yeah. Okay. I totally understand where people's fears are. They're afraid to get on that railroad in the morning now, Clem. Yeah. They're afraid to get on that morning rush hour train. They're afraid of going into a restaurant. There's going to be some, some trepidation to go into a restaurant when it first opens. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. And I, I'm just like, I'm just trying to play it out in my head. Like if, and when they do come up with a vaccine, how are people going to act, you know, because, you know, you could still eat there. The flu is still a thing. You can get a vaccine for the flu, but you can still get the flu, you know, and people still go like, like we mentioned, you know, you go out, do stuff if you have the flu or whatnot, you know, what, how is this going to impact people once, you know, a vaccine does come out for the coronavirus? Will people still, you know, go out or like, how will people interact with each other when they see each other? Or like, will things, when will things officially get back to normal? You know, like, we have no idea. And that's the worst part about this. And that's the, and yeah, and you're hundred percent right. And the thing is, is that that's why we have to open soon. Yeah. I don't know when I would say within by next month, you have to open. We yeah. have to start, we really have to start letting restaurants open up to take people, you know, to take tables. I think as long as you keep, as long as you keep it socially distant, the last thing you want are restaurants closing. Because if they close, you know what that turns into? Your day at the supermarket literally comes with using your fist to get a loaf of bread or a bag of rice or something to help you survive. The restaurants are the, some of the most important businesses right now that need to stay open. They're doing the best they can on the takeout and the curbside pickup. But with everybody out of work, it's very difficult for people to buy you know, go get a pizza all the time or go get Chipotle whenever they want or to go get this all they want. They, yeah, they can incur debt by doing that. You know, like we, when we, we, when I at home, I order out once a week, mm -hmm. 
maybe twice, sometimes twice. And it's expensive. It is. No, I 100% I mean, agree. Like my, I see when I, my parents, they want to, you know, go out and get food or whatever, like order out. They try, they try to get like the best deals that are going on from restaurants and whatnot. And I, I, sometimes it's expensive, you know, and I, and I 100% agree. I get that. So it's just, you know, it becomes a situation where this is the last thing you want. You don't want restaurants starting to close their doors because while curbside and it's helping, it's giving them, it's generating some cash flow. The fact is it's probably not enough. And the last thing you want to do is be driving around one day in the middle of August when small businesses are out of business and all you see is nothing but, you know, for lease signs across a whole strip of floor of stores. Yeah. This is a time where both sides, in my opinion, are wrong. Mm-hmm. Players are wrong. Owners are wrong. Owners are doing the low ball thing, which is what I expect. Players are basically sitting there because they've already given up 50% of their salary, which is fine. And maybe doing 50%, another 50% is a little tough. That might be a little tough to ask for. But I think the players really need to consider lowering it a little bit more if they really want. They have, they're going to have to make some concessions too. They can't just be like, okay, we'll get you whatever you want. We'll get you whatever you want. Because there are plenty of fans right now who say the players are greedy. Mm-hmm. The players will give a shit about the, you know, the fans and everything. That's a bit of a cop-out. I don't, I don't agree with that logic. I don't agree with the fact that they don't take, that they're not, they don't care about the fans, that they don't care about the people who are unemployed. Okay. That I disagree with. But at the same time, if you have the nerve to sit there and say, well, I don't see why I should be taking less than $19 million this year. Then you kind of look like a pompous asshole. Yeah. And then that's why you look bad in front of the fan base. Same thing with the owners. You're a billion-dollar owner. Don't tell me you can't make this keep this afloat for a couple of months. Okay? Everybody's taking a hit here. Everybody. I'm taking a hit. Small business owners taking a hit. And now major league teams are taking hits. That's what it's going to be for a while. It is going to be a rough 2020 to navigate, but it's a necessary evil. It's got to be done. Absolutely. And if that's the case, then if you're really that afraid, then do me a favor, close up shop and let's not have sports anymore because this is just, you, you cannot keep living scared. We have to, the problem is, is that we have to take the plunge and be prepared for the splashback. Mm-hmm. We have to be prepared for the possibility that a player is going to test positive. We have to, it's going to be a trial by fire situation. How do we fix this? There isn't a clear-cut plan to make this work. There isn't a clear-cut plan to, exo- to cure you from coronavirus right now. Yeah. So it's a very simple thing. If you don't feel comfortable having a season, then cancel the damn season. But I don't think there's going to be a situation ever where we're going to be safe from this, unless maybe unless we get the vaccine. But some people are even saying that's not even possible. So the thing is, it's just going to be a case of if you get it, you deal with it. But if the, if the league is going to test every day, mm-hmm. if the league is going to test every other day, I mean, I don't know how often they, they're going to test because it'd be a lot of money to test every day. You're talking 53, uh, 25 man roster, 30 man roster times 30 teams. 
It's a lot of tests. Yeah. Talking 900 tests a day. So it just makes the players look bad because now they're sitting there whining about money. It's not about their health. And while I respect the fact that they are taking the risk by playing every day, the fact is, is I would like to think that Major League Baseball will have a, a plan in place to protect these guys. Yeah. But it's time to just cut the shit and start, get this back to normal. Because like I said, and you just said it too, if you have to go to a point where you cancel this season and all you've been hearing about for the past three or four days is money and money and money, the fans are going to totally disrespect you. The fans are not going to have want anything to do with you. And it's going to take a lot of kissing and making up with the fans to get on their good side again. Because if you think for a minute that a fan is going to pay what teams are going to charge in 2021 to offset the losses for 2020, they are sadly mistaken. Exactly. And, and you know, I, it, it was, took so long for baseball to recover after 94, you know. And that wasn't until, you know, Sosa McGuire happened, Cal Ripken, the Red Sox breaking the uh, curse of the Bambino. It took them a long time to get it back to normal. And now even with the, in this day and age, people find baseball – some people find baseball boring. And baseball is losing its fans, and this is not helping the situation at all. Here's the way I look at it, and I don't mean to do – there's – you have the upper class, the middle class, and the lower class, mm. okay? The middle and the lower class people, people who don't make a lot of money, people who are – they are – I'm not belittling those people at all. They work their asses off, and I will respect them up and down, mm-hmm. okay? Because you know what those people do if they have children? They scrounge up any dollar they can, and they get them out to Yankee Stadium to take them to a game to see Aaron Judge, to see whoever they – you know, whoever. Okay, same thing on the Mets side. They scrounge up money that they can get. They put some money aside. They take their kid to a ball game. Absolutely. Get them a hot dog. Get them a, get them a souvenir. And it's a fun family day. Those are the real fans right there, Clem. Yeah. Those are the real hardcore baseball fans all the way. The Absolutely. upper class doesn't give a crap about baseball. It's all about prestige. It's all about high society for them. That's why they get the baseline tickets. They have no idea who these friggin' players are. Yeah. They're less. They just want to get the club access, and they want to go to the VIP clubs and all that stuff. Okay? And, I mean, those are the types of fans the Yankees and Mets want, too, because they're the ones that are going to spend big money. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny you mentioned that, because I sat behind the dugout at City Field, like, once. I sat behind there once. Like, maybe I was, like, four or five rows behind from behind the dugout. You know, I've never sat, I never sat that close in my life. You know, I'm sitting there, you know, whatever. Lady taps me on the shoulder. She's like, oh, what do you want to eat? I was like, what do I want to eat? What do you mean? I was like, I was like yeah, it was the waiter. I was like, what the, I was like, what are you talking about? And she was like, oh, we bring, we bring you the food. I was like, oh. Be careful. Okay. It, takes forever. it takes forever. Yeah, it took, it took forever. But I was like, cause, but like, for me, I've always sat, you know, upper deck. I've always sat, you know, Pepsi porch, Coca-Cola, whatever you want to call it. I always sat like last one. I've never experienced a waiter coming up to me and asking me what I wanted. That was whole brand new to me. I didn't even know that. I didn't even know that existed until I sat there. Well, it's kind of funny you mentioned that, right? Because the other day, um, well, my father-in-law, he just recently retired. He used to get Yankee tickets all the time from a vendor. Mm-hmm. They, had a, they, had, they had season tickets, and the tickets were literally right on the first baseline, like maybe 10 rows back. Mm-hmm. Seat was amazing, and it was right by the Yankee dugout. 
So that made it even better. Now, you know I don't like the Yankees, mm-hmm. but for that ticket, I will go to Yankee Stadium. Yeah. I will get my garlic fries because I think that's the only good thing they have there. Okay? <laughs> so, but when you look around, now when you sit field level at Yankee Stadium, the seats are cushioned. You got the waitresses. You got everything. You got nothing. You pretty much, they know you, you, you spent your big baller money to go there. Yeah. So they're going to make sure that you get the big baller experience. Yeah. I'm not talking about stupid-ass LeVar Ball. <laughs> now, the funny thing is, if you go sit in the upper deck of Yankee Stadium, which I have for concerts more than I have for games, the only time I ever sat upper deck at a Yankee game was yet Mets-Yankees that my cousin got tickets for. And the game was great because it, like it was like a slugfest. It was just back and forth. I think the Mets won like 11-9. to 9, But it was just like home run after home run. Yeah. You know, set the mood when Curtis Granderson – leading off for the Mets, just tease off one in right field. And again, it was a great game. You go sit in the, that section, the seats are uncomfortable, they're small, and if you're a big guy, you're screwed. Yeah. I mean, so you see the night and day difference. Oh, yeah. Right? But when you sit down in the – but you sit in the upper deck, you get those hardcore Yankee fans. Those guys have been Yankee fans for like 30 years, right, that can tell you about when they played, when they saw, you know, whoever. When they were during the days of Mattingly and – just, you know, just to name a few, Henderson and Randolph and Guidry and, you know, all those guys, whatever. And then you get the schmucks in the, in the field level seats that have no idea who the players are, that are just sitting there bullshitting the entire game, yep. drinking like a Jack Daniels or whatever. Or you get the loudmouth corporate guys who are single and all they want to do on a Friday night is just get hammered. And that's just 10 times worse. Yeah, like there was another time my – because my buddy's dad was the golf pro at, the, at Plandome Country Club. So he used to get us, like, nice tickets all the time. So there was one time we went to – I think we were sitting in the Delta Skybox at City Field. And, we, you know, we, again, buffet, free food, everything. I'm like, yo, this is nice, man. I really, like – I'm like, this is – like, you don't want to go back to the other seats when you experience this. But it's like, you know, we were sitting there, and like you mentioned, you know, you get the schmucks who get these seats. They're like, they don't care. I had we had like maybe like teenagers sitting in front of us, like four teenagers sitting in front of us, who were like taking selfies and texting the whole game. We were like, "That's what I'm saying." And, like, like, and me and my friends, we're amazing. Like, yeah, we're like, me and my friends, we're diehard baseball fans, so we're trying to be into the game with people taking selfies, everything. Like, I'm like, like, what is this? Like, pay attention to the game. Like, I was, I was so fortunate to be in those seats. Like, I didn't take those seats for granted. I love those seats. Will I ever sit in them again? Probably not. But I, t- I loved every second of it. And I have pe- people sitting in front of me, like you said, the business schmoes, the people who get these free tickets all the time. They don't care. I'm like, come on. Like, what is this? I mean, the thing is, like, when I go to a game, I go to watch a game. Exactly. But I don't just go and sit there and just schmooze with people and bullshit with people. Yeah, of course, I'm going to talk to people. when I Like, if I'm with, like, my, my wife or I'm with, like, my friends or whatever, of course, we're going to chat during the yeah. game. But we're also watching the game. Yeah, exactly. And, like, it drives me crazy that people still act like that. Well, meanwhile, you know, Joe from the Bronx, who's been a Yankee fan for, like, 30 years, who can't even, you know, who, who works his ass off every day, could, you know, can't get anywhere, can't get a sniff down in those sections because the tickets are so damn expensive. No, it's like I went to – this is when I was dating my girlfriend. I went to a Met game. And, I, I, like you mentioned, I'm there to watch the Mets. I'm, the, I'm not there to do anything else. I'm there to watch the Mets. I'm grabbing my, my, my food. I'm sitting down and then grabbing beer, and then that's it. That's me for the rest of the game. 
She was like, oh, let's go walk around. Let's go see all that. I'm like, walk around? We got to watch the Mets. I was like, are you kidding me? What are we doing? I was like, I don't want to walk around. Like, it was, but, uh, I was like, yeah, sure. Let's go walk around. Like, just, like, go like, go like, with your wife or girlfriend to sporting events. Oh, my God. It's, it was so and, bad. And, it was so bad. I, I hated it so much. You know, not to get all serious, too, because, I mean, this is kind of a – since there's not really a lot going on in sports, um, you know, the other thing that's going on is this thing in Minnesota right now. Mm. And, I mean, you would think by now – let me just say it like this. I don't look at cops in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. When one cop is an asshole, I don't – it's not the whole one bad apple spoils the bunch type thing. Yeah. Because there are plenty of good officers who live and die by the book, who do things the right way, mm-hmm. treat people with the utmost respect in the world, who never do anything that's illegal, shady, mm-hmm. no matter what. Right. Then you get that one guy, that one guy who's caught on video doing something like that. And now you have a situation like you're playing out in Minnesota. Yep. Now, here's the one thing I'm going to say about that. You have every right to peacefully protest. I completely respect that opinion. I will never tell people what to do. I will never tell people you're a moron or whatever. Okay. In the back of your mind at the same time, you need to also understand that there are good cops out there that work their tails off every day. Yeah. Okay. They put a lot of years in in the force. They risk their lives every day. They protect people like me when they don't, we don't even realize it and we don't even respect it sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, we get pulled over. What's the first thing we say? Oh, lazy ass cop. You know, that kind of thing. Because, you know, and don't forget, it's the end of the month. And what do we say about the end of the month? That's when the tickets are coming. We got to make quota. Yep. Right? Now, at the end of the day, though, I respect the job because that's what they do. Because for everybody like me who may get a ticket for running a red light or whatever it is, they must have to deal with 20 other jerks who fight them tooth and nail on every little thing. Yeah. Now, that being said, it is not a reason you do not get the right to loot a target and go get a new TV just because you're not happy with the, what, what happened. It is a horrible story. It is a tragic story. It's unfortunately to this day, something that still goes on and on, still goes on and on in this, in this country. Mm-hmm. We thought we were past this years ago and we're still not. Okay. And it reminds me, you weren't around for this, you weren't born yet, but it reminds me of the Rodney King thing in 92. Mm-hmm. When that verdict got handed down, you don't want to be anywhere near Los Angeles. Yeah, I've That's seen videos. Bad. They were dragging people out of their car and beating the crap out of them. White people dragging them out of their car and beating the crap out of them. And they had every right to be mad because it was a horror sh- That verdict was a disgrace. And this is no different. Yeah. Okay? A man died. A man you can hear say, I can't breathe. And this is what we have right now. And now you have people tearing up Minnesota. And again, I have no problem with people protesting. You are, you know, that is your God-given right. You can do whatever you want. That does not give you the reason to break into Target and go steal shit from a Target. It does not give you the right to go burn down people's businesses that work their asses off for that business. Absolutely. Okay. It does not give them the right. And I don't care what anybody says. I don't care if it becomes a racial thing where it's just like, well, you don't understand what they're going through. I understand that part. And it sucks. It sucks every day. Yeah. 
it still doesn't give you the right to start looting stores. Because at the same time, again, you're going at it the wrong way. Yeah. Okay? Like, that's your reason to say, oh, yeah, I'm just going to loot this supermarket because I need food. Okay, well, I mean, but if I see people walking out of Target with a television, black or white, I'm not, you know, it doesn't matter. You're both wrong. Everybody's wrong in that sense. Because then it's not about that guy. It's about what you can get for protesting for that guy. Exactly. So it's like, it's not about the fact that the guy died, because then you don't give a crap about what the guy, about the guy being dead. Yeah. If you're going to stand there and protest against racial injustice, then you shouldn't be out looting and firebombing stores because that's your way of releasing the beast and releasing the anger. Mm-hmm. Okay? And now you understand why, and I hope people understand why Colin Kaepernick kneeled when he did. Because this is what he was kneeling about. Yeah. This is exactly what he was kneeling about. He was not kneeling just to be an ass and just say, yeah, well, I don't like white people, so I'm going to boycott the national anthem. No. And everybody to this day takes that as misleading. He was protesting police brutality. Yeah. Whether it was Eric Garner, whether it was um, Trayvon Martin, just to name a, you know, again, just to name a couple. There was another one too, but the name escapes me. That's what he was protesting. And he knew that he was, he was going to ride, he was going to fall on that sword. He knew what was at stake, was basically his career. Yeah. But he still did it, and I have the utmost respect for that guy for doing it. Look, I'm, I, I, up for himself. I was going to say, I may not, you know, agree with him kneeling for the flag, but I understand what he did, why he did it, and the impact it made, and that's all fine for him. I get that. I get what he was trying. I know. I know he wasn't kneeling for like the vets or anything like that. I know what he was. Kneel- I know why he was kneeling. Do I agree with him kneeling during the national anthem? Not really, because I think you should always pay respect to the country and everything like that. I understood why he did it though. And I, again, you have every right in this. Co- in this, that's from what, what I, from what I remember, and I think Matt was the one who kind of brought this up a long time ago when we did polar opposites. The reason why he kneeled. Apparently, from what I read, he reached out to veterans. Mm -hmm. He reached out to veterans about this issue. And I think he basically asked them, you know, what would they consider disrespectful? Mm -hmm. And they said sitting for the national anthem, not kneeling. That's why he didn't sit on the bench during the national anthem. Right. Okay. And he, he took their word and respected their opinions enough to do the kneeling. Yeah. And I get it. You know, listen, is it a slap in the face of the country? Eh, depends who you talk to. Okay. I respect what Colin Kaepernick did, and this is why he was doing it. And the same thing happened again in Texas. Another video of cops cornering a, a guy. I don't even know what, I didn't even get the whole story of it, but just the thought of it looked bad. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't even know what it was for, but it sure as hell wasn't anything like, like murder. I mean, this is the unfortunate part of the world we're living in now, okay? But as we said before, one bad apple should never spoil the bunch, Yeah. okay? And for every one cop that may have a bad side or a dark side, there are plenty of other cops who do a lot of good things for their communities, who uphold the law, who don't do shady stuff, who do things by the book, 
And those are the guys you always want to remember on the good side of it at the end of the day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I, I know a bunch of cops. They're not – at least I don't think they are like that. But, like, you know, they do good things for the community, and I applaud them every single day, you know. Like you said, you know, just because there's one bad person, a bad cop, doesn't mean that everyone is – all cops are bad, you know. But to sit there and, you know, listen, like I said, you have every right to protest. You should be angry as hell. And there's nothing wrong with being angry about the, what happened to this poor guy. Okay? Nothing wrong with being upset about it. Nothing wrong with being angry about it. Nothing wrong with being frustrated about it. But where I draw the line is when you purposely start firebombing businesses and setting buildings on fire just because you're mad at what happened. Right. That's wrong. You want to peacefully protest? That's okay. You want to go up to the city hall in Minneapolis and sit there and put a massive protest together? No one would blame you. It'd be a perfect idea. Keep it civil and, and leave it at that. But when you start breaking windows of a target, because again, people need those stores. You know, people need to go buy food there. People need to buy stuff there right now to survive. Or even like the local mom and pop shops, especially now, who are trying just trying desperately to survive and keep their business alive. And, you know, they get looted like that. Yeah, it's they're, done. It's, it's, they're done. They're out. That's it. They're not, they're not going to come back from a looting like that. And then what it does is it makes your neighborhood look like shit. And is that what you really want at the end of the day? You know, you want to be looked at as an upstanding neighborhood. You want to be looked at as like a, you know, a shitty neighborhood that just, you know, torches this and torches that. Like I said, I mean, the video is horrible enough. I mean, it's, it's tough to watch. Okay. This guy literally has his knee in this guy's throat. Yeah. Okay. And look, I don't know much about police procedure or how cadets were trained in the academy, but I'm willing to bet they weren't trained where they have to put a knee in a guy's throat. Hmm. Okay. And then it's just like, and then making matters worse, apparently the guy had a, in a past picture, had a baseball hat that said, make whites great again. And there you go. That's all you need right now at this point. I don't know if that was true or not. I saw it in like a newspaper article somewhere, or I think it was on the news somewhere. That's all you need, man. Like, you know, that's like putting kerosene on a freaking inferno. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know he had a hat like that. That just reminded me of uh, when, uh, whoops. My bad. Oh, that just reminded me of uh, you. I saw see, take that fire department job, bro. No, nah, it's just we get we get a uh, a call and we get we get an alarm every day at six oh five just to test out and make sure our pages are cat stuck in tree. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just gonna say it reminded me of uh, I I wasn't alive for the OJ incident, but you know I saw a bunch of documentaries and I saw the OJ versus the People series and everything like that, and it's reminded me that you know that you know. Mark Furman may have not have been a bad guy at the time, but he had a terrible history of being a racist, you know? Yeah. So it, it did not help his situation when he was on trial. And that's all guys like Johnny Cochran needed to exploit. Exactly. And just like that, you know, and to this day, you know, like everyone knew he was guilty. Everyone knew he was guilty. Yeah. But they did, he did, Johnny Cochran uh, and these lawyers, lawyers, they did such a good job. It's like, maybe he, maybe OJ didn't do it. Like, <laughs> you know? He obviously did it, but, like, it gives you that question. But, again, I mean, it's just after a while, you just get so tired. And, you know, and, and it was funny because this morning I was watching Don Lemon, 
on CNN. Mm-hmm. You know, I like CNN. I like the way they report news. And it's not just really because, like, I'm not, it has nothing to do with whether, whether I like Trump or not. I just like the way they report news. Yeah. You know, I don't feel that they're biased. I feel like they try to, they do whatever they can to try not to be biased. But when you're constantly getting shredded by the president of the United States, well, there's a problem right there. Okay. Don Lemon, if you don't know who he is, is an African-American host of, uh, you know, he has his own show and everything. And he just pretty much just laid on the table. He's just like, I'm just sick and tired of pretending that this isn't happening. I'm sick and tired of, you know, this. And, you know, we're constantly being, you know, it's just, it's, she was pretty much saying it's never going to get better. Yeah. And, you know, I saw something Will Smith tweeted out or put on his Instagram. It's whatnot. It's like, it's not that racism is getting worse. It's just getting filmed now. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody's videotaping everything. And the thing is, if you're, and again, nowadays with everybody with a phone has a video and everybody with a phone automatically tells a story. Everybody's a filmmaker now because, you know, they see one little thing and they're videotaping. it. Yeah, exactly. You know, but you feel horrible for this family, for this, for this, you know, for this, for the Floyd family there, you know, yeah, it, it's just, it just, it makes me cringe. Yeah. It's not, not a good look, you know, and it's just, you know, you watch the video, then now it's, now it's becoming a situation where lives are at stake from protesters because eventually it's going to happen. It's going to start getting violent again. Yeah, exactly. And again, like you mentioned, you know, this may, he, just because this one guy did a bad thing doesn't mean all cops are bad. But other other people are going to go up to cops and be like, "Yo, f you." Oh yeah, they're going to be you can't going to be taunting. Exactly. Remember that, remember that whole thing when like um, those two NYPD officers that got like shot, like one cop got shot like point blank range in like Brooklyn or the Bronx. Yeah. Guy was just sitting in his car like waiting for something, and this guy just went up to him, shot him, shot yeah. him like three times, killed him, just like that. Exactly. There's an Asian, I think it was an Asian officer, but I can't remember his name. No, I think it was last year or the year before. I think it was either last year or the year before. That's what you're gonna have now. It's gonna, yeah, it's gonna be like that. And I'm just like, it's like, like you said, just because there's one bad person doesn't mean they're all bad. But things like that will happen, you know. Even if it's like you know taunting videos, you'll have people go on with their cell and be like, oh, like fuck you, cops. Like, what, what are you gonna do about it? Nothing. nothing. Like they're gonna talk. And those are the videos that are gonna be like, all right, come on, stop being an asshole to this guy. Uh, you know, because cops have, you know, they're gonna be some cops who basically just sit there and they say. You know, I'm not going to try to force this guy. He's going to sell that video to like the newspapers, you know, but he's got to do a job. His job is to protect and serve us. Yeah. You know, we, res- you know, I will always respect police officers for what they do, for putting their lives in the line every day. Yeah. And just because, listen, and again, this is a horrible incident and I am not defending this guy whatsoever. This guy should be put in prison for what he did. Okay. But that being said, we, we cannot break away from the narrative that, all cops are bad because there are plenty of good cops, white or black or Hispanic or Asian American, doesn't matter. They're all, there are some good people. There are some good police officers that bust their, ta- their ass every day. They have families to feed. They do their job by the book and they just, they only want to do is get through the night. Exactly. Okay. Survive the shift and go home. And that's it. But, you know, just, uh, this is the last thing you need right now in the middle of a global pandemic. Right. You know, but all right, Clem, any uh, parting gifts before we get out of here? Yeah. Have you seen what MLB.com has put up recently? They've been doing a, a dream seasons bracket for like, I guess like the, uh, the best seasons throughout uh, history. 
for baseball? I've not, no, I have not, actually. I've been, like, following it a little bit. 86 Mets are in the Elite Eight. Watching it, right? I'm looking at yeah, it. That was an incredible season. I mean. Yeah, want, yeah, want me to read off of uh, what teams are left? Yeah, go ahead. All right, so we have the 04 Red Sox going up against the 54 Indians. Okay. The 42 Kansas City Royals, I guess, versus the 01 Mariners. Who was on the Mariners team? Was that Randy Johnson and, like, Ken Griffey Jr.? Yeah, it was, like, Ken Griffey. I'm pretty sure that was Ichiro's rookie year. Oh, Edgar Martinez was probably on that team. Yeah. Okay. That was the that was the year that I'm I'm if I'm correct that the Mariners won like a hundred and twenty something games and didn't win the World Series. I'm trying to think who was who were pitchers on that team, but I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, I'm pretty sure Randy Johnson was on that team, but anyway, Randy Johnson I know was on that team. I just so I'm, I'm I know there was another guy that I'm missing. All right, hold on. Now I got. Only one. had. Let me know if that's the team that had Heathcliff Slocum. Heathcliff Slocum. That's a name. I never even heard of that guy before. You would think it was their closer. Let me see. Okay, hold on. Mariner season. Let's uh, – where's the roster? Okay. Uh, no, I'm not seeing any heat. Okay, maybe that was the wrong team, but, like – Carlos Guillen was on this team. Yeah, Ichiro. Carlos Guillen was a good player. Yeah. Brett Boone. Another good player. Uh, why? I'm not seeing Ken Griffey on this team, though, shockingly. Hmm. Maybe, it was, maybe it was after he – maybe he retired around that time. Maybe. But, um, okay, yeah. So, yeah, you have the Mar- 01 Mariners versus 42 ro- uh, Royals. Then you have the 95 Braves versus the 86 Mets. Mm-hmm. And then the 75 oh, Reds. Of course, you put them against the Braves. Against Maddox, Smoltz, and Glavin, probably. Then you got the 75 Reds versus the six- 1960 Pirates. Unfortunately, I don't know too much about a lot, of, a lot of those teams. I mean, I remember the 2004 Red Sox. That was the uh, Kevin Euclidus and uh, Keith Folk. Yeah. Uh, Keith Folk team with Pedroia and all those guys. That was when they crushed the Yankees in the uh, game seven when uh, Damon hit the grand slam off uh, Kevin Brown. That was great. You know, so, the, I'm, I will say, though, the, the Mets, the 86 Mets did beat some pretty solid teams going into this Elite Eight. They right. Were, they went up against the 2018 Rockies in the first round. Then they went up against the 98 uh, Padres. Okay. And then they, they just beat the 94 uh, Expos. Okay. And 94 Expos, they were, they were a World Series favorite before the strike. Yeah. So, I mean, it'll be tough for the Mets. to This 95, 86 Mets versus the 95 Braves, that's going to be a tough matchup. Yeah, they'll give it to the Braves, knowing, knowing MLB. <laughs> I will say disappointed, though, that the 69 Mets were, on, were also in this bracket and they lost to the 97 Marlins in the first round. Oh, who was on that 97 Marlins team? That was like Sheffield, Castillo. Oh, okay. Uh, Edgar Renteria? Yeah, all those guys. Okay. That's, was that Dontrell Willis? No, right? Uh, oh, that might be a little definitely wasn't Josh Beckett. I know that. Oh, no, yeah. Josh Beckett was uh, 03. I wish I could remember that pitching staff. Uh, I know the names. As soon as you run off the names, I'm going to be like, oh, that's right. Let me see. Okay, 19. More they have roster. a – Hold on. Loading. They have Arrestus Destrada. They had Arrestus – how do you say that last name? Destrada. No, nah, not seeing No, nah. he was the inaug- he was one of the first inaugural uh, Florida Marlins when they were the Florida Marlins. They had oh they had Levon Hernandez. Who he was, was good. No, he was actually good for them. Yeah, yeah. 
Al Leiter was on the team. Oh, Jesus, yeah. Yeah, let me look at the Kurt Abbott they had. Jesse Bob, they had Bobby Bonilla. Wow, look at this guy. Yeah, Luis Castillo, Cliff Floyd, Moises Alou. Oh, yeah. This, I mean, this is, that team was elite. That team oh, was actually yeah. elite. And Jim Leland was the manager. No, that's another reason why they were elite. <laughs> um, as for me, a uh, couple – I'm going to just do three quick hits before uh, – we're not going to do a show tomorrow. This is going to be our last show of the week. And um, just to give you guys a heads up, by the way, check out the A1 on Spotify as we put up our interviews with Tim Healy, Isaac Feldman, Jake Asman, and our last show on Friday that we had with uh, Behind the Barricades, Anthony Carragher. We're on so, Apple Podcasts now, too. And we're on Apple Podcasts. So. I know. It's about time. I don't know what the hell took so long for, for Anchor. Because I, mean, I use Anchor to get everything out. Right. And I don't know what the hell took so long for them to just put everything out on uh, Apple, Apple Podcasts. But we're finally on Apple Podcasts officially. So, again, check out Spotify. Check out uh, – we have we had some great, great interviews over the last two weeks with uh, Isaac Feldman, Jake Asman, and uh, Tim Healy. And uh, we got plenty more that were lined up for. I told you I reached out to Christine. Yeah, did she answer you back yet? I sent her an Instagram message, but she didn't, give, she didn't write me back yet. But she writes me back very late. I think the last time when I asked her to be on the show, she, she messaged me like a month later. Oh, really? Because like, I think people just bombard her inbox with stuff. <laughs> I might have her email address. If I do, I'll probably I'll see if I can send her like a Gmail or something like that. Yeah, I reached out to the two guys that I texted you about yesterday. Don't want to give any names away, any names yet until it's confirmed. But one guy didn't answer me. The other guy, I'm just still waiting to answer back from. But yeah, so you know, keep rocking with us on A1. We're gonna, we have a lot of cool stuff coming up. So again, check it out on Spotify. Check it. Out. I listened to the Tim Healy interview uh, the other good. day, and it was really good. Tim's awesome. Yeah, it was. Fun. You know, he was he was awesome. He actually emailed me right afterwards saying, you know, it was, you know, just you know, thanks for having me on. It was great baseball talk. And um, if you check out YouTube. Check out my spot with the um, Let's Talk Jets podcast, uh, Tyson, and um, I forgot the other guy's name. I thought it was Dick. But um, he was, they, were, they were super they were awesome. Good. Yeah, I, watched, I, watched, I got to watch that whole, that whole episode. It was really good. Now, what's cool about them is, and I invited them to come on our show. If they ever want to come on our show, they're more than welcome to be a guest on our show. Um, what's cool about them is they do a lot of fan interviews. Mm-hmm. They don't, you know, and what they do is, and I reach – I reached out to them because they were looking for fans to have on their show and I reached out to them. And when I didn't hear from them, I got a little nervous thinking that um, they weren't going to be able to, that it was going to fall through. But uh, luckily it didn't because I, it was a really awesome talk we had with them. And um, give me one second, Clem. All right. Uh, The guy's name is going to like, it's going to piss me off if I don't know it. You know, I, when you did, I was like, you know what? Maybe I, I should do one of these fan interviews with them. Throw my two cents about the Jets out there. Tyson Rouch and Kevin Serkin. Kevin Serkin. Okay, they're with the uh, Let's Talk Jets radio show. They do it every Tuesday night at 8 o'clock. Um, we covered a lot of ground. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, we definitely covered a lot of ground, and, you know, they're awesome. And, you know, I really appreciate them giving me the, giving me the time to be on their show. And um, so, yeah, definitely check that out. It's currently on YouTube. They also have it on Spotify. And um, it's also on my Facebook page, and it's also on my, you know, my Instagram page. So check it out. Um, it's definitely, if you're a Jets fan, you'll definitely love it. Uh, two things for me really quickly. Number one, uh, apparently the short list of coaches for the Knicks, starting at Tom Thibodeau and Kenny Atkinson. 
So if you really want two polarizing choices, you have one at the North Pole and the other one at the South Pole, okay? The only way I will justify Kenny Atkinson going to the Knicks is if the Knicks are committed to a full-blown rebuild. Yep. If you start bringing in Chris Paul, if you start bringing in Anthony Davis or whoever else you decide to bring in, Kenny Atkinson's not going to coach these guys. He's not good at coaching those guys. He's good at developing young players because he can instill his influence on them and teach them everything. Exactly. You can't teach Chris Paul. You can't teach veterans. That's why I think he had a lot of problems with Kyrie and, well, he would have probably would have problems with Kevin Durant as well and DeAndre Jordan. Absolutely. doesn't mean he's a bad coach at all. I just think he's better suited for a team that needs to develop. You know who, where he'd be perfect? Cavaliers. Yep. Team like the Cleveland Cavaliers. A team like the Sacramento Kings. Those are the teams that you want to send Kenny Atkinson to if he wants a job. But I think he'd be very good there. Yeah. Tip, though, he's always the sexy name that always gets – thrown around as soon as somebody's looking for a head coaching job and it never really turns out that and it I mean yeah he's a good coach he won a title with Boston but he wasn't very good with Minnesota and I don't know if he'll be any better with the Knicks yeah ask yourself if that taskmaster philosophy is going to fly with the New York Knicks players and I don't know if it will I think that the Knicks need to go full full rebuild here and you know build with what the play the players you have now and then you know when those players get in get better then you saw like with the Nets you saw that the Kevin Durant and the Kyrie Irvings will want to come play for that team. You know, if you, if RJ Barrett can reach his full potential and uh, Mitchell Robinson and uh, Julius Randle, they can reach their full potential with a guy like Kenny Atkinson. Then you can expect like a guy like, uh, I don't know, say Devin Booker, Chris Paul, these guys, you can expect those guys to come into the future. You, you know, like, they'll be like, you know what? These guys are good. I want to play with them. And that's what Kenny Atkinson did with the Nets. You know, maybe, you know, I agree that, you know, they, he couldn't handle or the Nets couldn't handle uh, a guys like him coaching guys like Kyrie and KD. I understand that, so they gave him the boot. But he got the Nets to a level where it was like, you know what? They're a good team, and I want to go play for them. You know, they made Spencer Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, Joe Harris, Karis LeVert, all these guys who were basically, you could say, bums. I mean, look – Oh, no, none of those guys were drafted higher than 20th overall in the draft. And mm-hmm. you, I, and every other NBA sports fan knows that if you're not getting drafted top five, seven, maybe in the draft, you're not going to be good. There's a slight chance that we're like, yeah, you got the Paul Georges and the DeMar DeRozans who were drafted like 13, 14, 15, who, were, who came out good. But these guys were drafted second round, late, late first round, and they ended up being great, great players on the Nets. So, so we'll see how it goes. But right now, like I said, if the Knicks don't have a philosophy, then I don't know who – it doesn't matter who coaches the team. Mm-hmm. So Leon Rose has a big decision to make. I think he's going to want to try to get some quality veterans in here. And, you know, you keep hearing a lot of this talk about Chris Paul coming to the Knicks, and it's not a role of possibility. It's I not. Think if he wants to make a splash. I think it's a huge mistake. But if yeah. that's, that's what they really want to do because, you know, the Knicks are – Listen, the last few drafts for the Knicks outside of R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson really haven't gone their way. If you think about Nilakina, if you think about um, even Kevin Knox, who now everybody's souring on, when a year before he was supposed to be this, you know, the future of the franchise, and all of a sudden everybody's kind of turned their back on him, including Mike Miller, the, the current coach. So I just don't see – again, if you don't have a plan, and it's not going to fly. Because when so, you – Again, like I like I just mentioned, you know, when you guys have when you have guys like Neil Aquina 
and Kevin Knox, who do have raw talent. Like, they were, you know, Nilekina's a good defender, and RJ, uh, RJ Barrett, and Kevin Knox could be could have been a good player. But when you have a guy like, uh, like Fisdale as your coach, he wasn't there to coach these guys. He was more there to attract uh, – the big name players to come play to come play for them because all you heard about was oh LeBron James loves uh, Fizdale this guy loves Fizdale they'll come play for the Knicks they'll come play for the Knicks no but that's not the case so you want to build off these I've said it before Knicks fans are a funny bunch because you know they got so arrogant when Kyrie and Kevin Durant were free agents they've pretty much had him signed sealed and delivered to Madison Square Garden and they totally screwed the Knicks over and went to Brooklyn and because of that the Knicks had no backup plan and it clearly showed because they just wound up signing a bunch of random free agents that didn't mesh well with the team. That's why they won only 17 games or 18 games this year. Exactly. So now all those guys are free agents, except for Julius Randle. Julius Randle is actually a tradable commodity because he's on an expiring deal. So what is the plan going into this year? Is it going to be rebuilding with young talent, or are you going to start making moves and making gutting the roster to bring in a couple of high-priced veterans and you're going to be right back to where you start. I think, I, like I said, I think they should just go full rebuild, you know? Because as much as I like R.J. Barrett and I like Mitchell Robinson, they haven't reached their full, full potential yet. And God forbid, you know, they, they stink it up in the, ne- the next year or so. It's, not gonna, it's still not going to be a sexy thing to attract, attract free agents, you know? They, these guys got to be doing amazing, making the, be at least on the cusp of the playoffs, you know? And that again, that's what the Nets were able to do, and that's what D'Angelo Russell was able to do. D'Angelo Russell helped bring back the Nets, and it was, it was him and Kenny Atkinson brought back the Nets, made them a seven seed in the playoffs. And you know, yeah, they they got swept by the they got destroyed by the Sixers in the first round of the playoffs. But it was like, you know what? You can build off this. You can build with Spencer Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, Joe Harris, Karis Levert, and you can bring in the sexy names like Kyrie Irving yeah. and KD. If you want my honest opinion, I think that the next trade that the Nets are going to make is going to be for Bradley Beal. I am 100% convinced it's going to be Bradley Beal. And I think you're going to see Dinwiddie. It's going to be a package. It's going to be a big package. So be prepared. Because I really think now with Kevin Durant coming back next year, the, the Nets have no excuses. They have, to start, they have to start shooting for the number one, number two, number three seed. Yeah. You can't keep sneaking in as a seven and being a losing team. So, um, another note, with hockey being back, the Islanders are getting some good news, and that is that it uh, looks like they're going to have a full roster. Adam Pellick is coming back from his Achilles injury. He should be healthy and ready to skate. Um, with the season not starting up again until August, the whole playoff thing, so that, that gives them plenty of time, apparently, to get him healthy. Um, Casey Sezikis should be back by then, and Johnny Boychuk should be back. And there's a lot of talk about – Ilya Sorokin possibly signing before the playoffs, which originally was not gonna, not looking possible. But apparently from what I read, the NHL and the NHL Players Association extended the period another month. Hmm. So if they could find a way to get Sorokin here, that would be a huge boost for the Islanders. Now, whether Sorokin starts in the playoffs is another story. But I think if people are really pushing this, then that tells me that the Islanders are not the most confident in their goalie situation going into a playoff series with the Panthers. That was what I was just about to say. I was like, do you really think that's the best move to bring up this guy who's never played an NHL game before to come and play in the playoffs, especially, you know, 
the preliminary rounds of the playoffs where you got to fight to really to get into the official playoffs. And listen, Varlamov and Grice, I think, have handled the job well, but it's obvious by next year you got to have a more permanent plan. Yeah. So if Sorokin plays next year, that's fine. You know, right now, I think this year I agree with you 100%. I think it's really – it's a real roll of the dice to bring this kid up, and, you know, if he gets shredded in the playoffs, it could really hurt his confidence. Yeah. You don't really want that going into next year. So there's that, which is a lot of good news, especially Pellick, because I always thought the team really went downhill on defense when Pellick went down with an injury. He was actually one of our better defensemen. And um, last but not least, the Revival made their major debut last night on AEW Dynamite. And I love the name. I love the FTR name. And, um, you know, they're basically, we know what it stands for, but, you know, their AEW is marketing it very differently. And uh, right now, it's hard to say who they're feuding with. I know they had a thing with the Bucks, but I don't know if that's where it's headed or they could be going in another direction. You know, you mentioned, you know, the other day when it was like, oh, you know, what can we see now with between the elite and the inner circle? Who are they going to feud with? Well, I think they got it perfect right now. You know, you saw Chris Jericho and Mike Tyson feuding a bit. Now that the revival feud. Here's my problem with the Mike Tyson thing. I think it's a blatant ripoff of the Austin McMahon thing. Yeah. Uh, oh, obviously. It definitely is. Ripoff. I don't like it at all. And I don't want to get Tyson involved in wrestling matches. Tyson's a boxer. Let him, let him be a boxer. I think it's just a whole big publicity sign because, you know, everyone's talking about, oh, is Mike Tyson going to come back and fight? Like, so I think it's just big publicity. Get the name out there, you know. So, all right. So that's pretty much going to do it for us on the Moffat on the Mic show for tonight, courtesy of the A1 Sports Network. You can follow the show, as always, on Instagram at Moffat on the Mic, Twitter at Moffat on the Mic, and my Facebook page as well. Check out the interviews we just posted on Spotify and Apple Podcasts featuring our interview with Tim Healy, Mets beat writer from Newsday. Our very good friend, Isaac Feldman, as well as another very good friend of ours, Jake Asman of The Jake Asman Show, and uh, also our chat with Behind the Barricades, Anthony Carragher, when we did a straight-up wrestling show on Friday. So check it out, courtesy of Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, follow the A1 Sports Network on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Clem, thank you for holding it down like you normally do. Again, no show tomorrow night. We'll be back again on Monday. And uh, – talking about whatever we can as it's we kind of get still in a bit of a quiet moment part of sports mm -hmm. but knowing our luck we'll be able to pull a few stories out of our ass for a monday show and uh, we'll be notifying when we have uh, guests on as always we're working on a few things and hopefully those things will pass so again everybody wherever you are have a great weekend stay safe clem take it easy stay out of trouble this weekend i'll try and uh <laughs> And um, that's it. So, again, on behalf of Chris Clem, I am Craig Moffat. This has been the Moffat on the Mic Show. Everybody have a great weekend. Clem, talk to you Monday.